0: Good morning, beloved Proverbs class. This is Sunday, March 10th, the start of Daylight Savings Time. And we want to look this morning at Proverbs 20, verse 12. The uh, hearing ear and the seeing eye, the Lord has made them both. Let's pray. Our God, we worship you this morning as creator, the God who has made our eyes and our ears and everything else, as we look at this specific verse and think deeply together about the glory of sight and hearing, teach us, encourage us, comfort us, and change us. For Jesus' sake, amen. Amen. You're reading along in Proverbs, and you come to the 20th of the month, and you read this verse, the hearing ear and the seeing eye, the Lord has made them both. What do you do? When you read that, don't keep reading. Don't keep reading. Stop and. (coughs) Reflect, praise, think about the implications of that. So that's what we're going to do with this one verse. We're going to think about. Did y'all get the handout? Good. We're going to think about this one verse. Have you thought about what your life would be like without eyes? Patty has. Without hearing. I suspect that more of us will be afflicted with hearing loss than sight loss, because as people get older, typically their ears go, and particularly the rock and roll generation, why? Because they've listened to a lot of loud music, it's true. Back in the day at the loud concerts, people weren't putting earplugs in their ears. So if you go to a loud concert, take your earplugs with you. If you use a chainsaw, use ear protection. So I believe, beloved, this verse calls for reflection. And at least this question arises, why does God tell you this fact? The seeing eye, the hearing ear, the Lord has made them both. Why does he tell you that fact? And I'll just propose to elicit at least three responses from you. Gratitude, humility, and desperation. Okay, let's work through it. First of all, you read this verse, you should be filled with gratitude. Are these astounding gifts? Sight? Hearing? I mean, we take them for granted. All we need to do, maybe for a while, is is put a blindfold on and try to make it through the day with a blindfold or stop up our ears. But these are astounding gifts. How sound works. How light works. And God has designed your ears to capture both in this amazing way that makes us human. Okay? And it is difficult to negotiate life both physically and spiritually without them. And I believe one of the reasons we are told God has this verse in the Bible, the seeing eye and the hearing ear of the Lord is of both, is that because in the book of Proverbs, what's the main image for the way we live? It's the main image. The path of life. We're all on the path of life. And in order to negotiate a path in the real world safely, you need to be able to see it. And along the path, there are dangers, the things we call things we can stumble over, that you need to see to to preserve your life, your welfare. And there are voices along the path. How many of you read yesterday Proverbs 9? you heard two voices in Proverbs 9. At the beginning of the chapter, you heard the voice of Lady Wisdom is calling. She's built her house. She's got her pillars. She's mixed her wine. She says, come on in. Feast with me. Find life in the life of Yahweh. And at the end of the chapter, Dame Folly is calling to those who pass by, who are seeking to make their way straight. That means if you are seeking to live in the Lord, there is a voice calling you off this path. So the eye and the ear are the principal ways that life is mediated to us. And it raises the question, am I listening to the right voices? Am I looking at the right things? So we should wake up every morning, look in the mirror or as soon as we open our eyes, and thank God for these amazing gifts. Amazing gifts. Secondly, God gives us this verse to humble us. The Lord has made them both. What follows from that? What are some implications of that fact? The Lord has made them versus versus you. You didn't sit around and think up the human eye and it would be another discussion for another day, but you probably know by now how I feel about Darwinian evolution. We don't get the complexity of the human eye through the chance co-location of atoms, and particularly the second law of thermodynamics, that any system left to itself is going to go down. You don't get complexity arising out of chaos. You just don't. We have the eye because God created it. We have this amazing thing, the ear, because God created it. Uh, I didn't make this up. God did. It points to the glory of an infinitely wise, genius creator. You should stand in awe of him for it. And second implication is um, you really can't do much about your eyes and your earrings. No, no, I just said if you're cutting firewood, use your protection. You go to a concert, use earplugs. You should wear sunglasses. You should eat carrots and all that stuff, right? There's things you can do to keep your eyes healthy, but you can't say to your ears right now, now keep working ears, keep working. You, you really don't have a lot of control over them. They're working. They're seeing because God made it that way. Okay? So it's only by grace that I can see or hear and that should humble us. What might your life look like if you were truly humbled by these two gifts? Just anybody. What might look different in your life if you were truly humbled by the marvel of sight and hearing? You would be... More dependent. More? More dependent. More dependent on the Lord? Asking Him constantly for His grace, His spirit, for wisdom, good. James? Complain less. We would complain less. Less complaining. Yes. Because we have so much in these gifts, right? Yes. Thanks, Nate. What else? What might look differently? You use them in a way that would be pleasing to the Lord. If these came from God, Danielle, I want to use my eyes and ears in a way that's pleasing to God and brings benefit to others. Because God has an other centeredness, has given me these gifts to enjoy, my life can be spent bringing joy to other people. Okay, see, just tease out some of the implications. Good, very good. Well, let's move on to point three, and obviously, this is going to occupy the balance of our time. Why do we have this verse in the Bible? To make us grateful, to make us humble, and to make us desperate. So, right now, what is the extent of your vision? Literally, What's the extent of your vision? Roughly 180 degrees. So if you have, you know, here's my periphery, peripheral vision. And I, when I, as soon as I begin to see my fingers, that's pretty close to 180 degrees. I cannot see behind me and you can't see behind me. Somebody could be plotting your destruction right behind you and you wouldn't know it. So, <laughs> Judy. For just for the record, Judy's looking behind her. <laughs> okay. So, so wow. I'm dependent. I'm vulnerable. How about your hearing? If someone were outside that door whispering, plotting your destruction, would you know it? You wouldn't know it. So, by definition, these gifts drive us to a depend- sense of dependence on the Lord. And tell us that we're vulnerable, and only the fool thinks otherwise. Only the fool doesn't grapple with the reality of how vulnerable and dependent that we are. So what I want you to see then is that our dependency in the physical world, right? We're de- right so you, you, you got eyes behind me. You got you got my eye, right. You got eyes behind me. I'm dependent on you. Somebody out there has ears that we're safeguarding our safety in here. In the same way in the physical world we are dependent and vulnerable, the same is true in the spiritual world. So when you read a verse like the seeing eye and the hearing ear, the can make them both, let that point you to a reality in the spiritual world. And that is, frankly, our need to see and hear God. Our need to see and hear God. To live is to see God. To live is to hear God. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve lived because they saw God. They heard God. Notice how uh, seeing and hearing play into the fall. What was the first thing Adam and Eve were subjected to as regards the fall? They... Satan, Genesis 3.1 And the serpent said... He began to challenge the word of God. So the first thing that led to the fall was hearing the lying, subtle, deceptive voice of the devil. And then he was appealing to, in part, their sight. When Eve saw that the tree was desirable. So this tells you that seeing and hearing play into sin and judgment. Judgment. And then after they fell, what did they hear? The sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, Mary's favorite time. The cool of the day, right? (laughs) And then uh, what what happened when they ate uh, the forbidden fruit? Their eyes were open. Translated, they are now experiencing evil in a way they were not designed to. Their eyes were opened. And so now the the judgment on sin in the world affects both our seeing and our hearing. What is it no one can see and live? God. What happened when God was thundering at Sinai? What did the people beg? Stop the noise. We can't bear to hear this. So these are clear indications of sin's judgment on these faculties. Which, of course, is absolutely intolerable. You were created to see and to hear God. Not seeing God is like going to the National Art Gallery and putting on a blindfold. Not hearing God is like going to a Bach concert and having earplugs in. Just out of curiosity, what are the principal ways that we see and hear God today? It's a principal way that you hear God today. In his work, this is the infallible, inerrant, without error, unable to lead you astray way of hearing God. So uh, remember the InterVarsity Press series, The Bible Speaks Today. John Stott was one of the editors of this series of biblical commentaries with this belief. God's word is still speaking to us today. So, about 11 o'clock this morning, some guy will stand up with a green tie on in the worship service, and he'll begin to speak. He'll start by reading you the scripture, and then he'll begin to try to explain the scripture in a way that brings understanding to it. But the only thing you can be absolutely sure is true that comes out of my mouth is the scriptures. Okay? So pray that your preacher gets it right, that the explanations are faithful to scripture. Really, really, really—that's every serious preacher's prayer. May I be faithful to the word? Andy often prays when the musicians gather at the piano Sunday morning. You know, he prays for the preacher. Make Mike a workman who does not need to be ashamed. Where does that come from in the Bible? Second Timothy. Timothy chapter two, two fifteen. Two fifteen. Handling accurately the word of truth, rightly cutting the idea is. So I heard a great illustration of that, that if you if you split wood, anybody like to split with a mall? What you're looking for is 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 the grain, because you always want to cut with the grain. If there's a little crack already in the log, you go where the crack is. Anyway, that's how it splits. That's the idea of what you're supposed to do with the word of God. Divide it accurately, rightly, exegete it faithfully. What's the principal way we see God now? In creation. In creation, that's from our lesson last week. Nature. Natural revelation, nature. We see, yeah, we're supposed to see in the sacraments, aren't we? Aren't we? This is my body. This is the blood. Very good, James. How else do we see God now? Terry? Providential acts. Yeah, God reveals himself through the acts of providence. He does. Now, the ultimate meaning of those may be a little bit mysterious. What does it mean that providentially God allowed this to happen? Since we don't always have access to infallible meanings of God's providences, we walk by faith. 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 We trust God knows what he's doing, even if I don't understand it. Sometimes his acts of providence come clear long after the fact. Oh, now I see why the Lord allowed this to happen to me, because this has become clear. Okay? We walk by faith. Good. I think we also, we also see it in the way we love each other. Christ becomes manifested in our midst. In the love we have for each other, our acts of service. Okay. Um, so sight and hearing become t- tests of my ultimate loyalties. Do I have that on the handout? Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. Yes. 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 So somebody read the first one. First question. Do I want to first listen to myself or God? Trust, rely upon. Okay. Well, thank you, Daniel. We'll talk more about of faith in the sermon. But when I look at this notion of the hearing ear, it raises this question in terms of loyalties. Do I really first want to listen to God or to myself? What's my natural bent? Listen to myself. Yeah. Trust yourself. That's why Proverbs 3, many of you memorized years ago, what couple of verses? Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Right. Name, say, and for us. And the next verse, excellent. Don't be wise in your own eyes. No, there's don't be your own infallible interpreter of reality and the meaning of your life. If you didn't invent life, you've got to look to the one who did. That's where the infallible interpretation of the meaning of your life comes from. The creator. If there's no creator, it doesn't matter what you do to anybody else. If there's no creator, right? All there is is molecules in motion. Who cares if you're a murderer, or a child abuser, or a rapist, or a thief? Who cares? If there's no creator, all things are permissible. Is that Dostoevsky? If there's no God, all things are permissible? It's true. Because who's to say? That one's wrong and that one's right. No lawgiver. Don't know. That's why we have so much chaos in our culture, incidentally, but that's another discussion for another day. (coughs) Uh, So we see there in Proverbs, the scoffer does not listen to rebuke. Review comes essentially through the ear. It's meant to be listened and heeded. And then we, very early in the prologue, in Proverbs 1, Lady Wisdom is calling, 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 and those who refuse to listen, they then ultimately experience the judgment of that refusal. And the next question? Do I want to first see God's own glory, God's glory, or my own? Good. Again, we're extrapolating from the idea that the seeing eye the Lord made, and it raises the question: Okay, am I really committed to seeing God's glory, or my own? What do you really? What's your natural bent? Your own glory. We're naturally self-reliant, self-promoting, self-sufficient, self-centered. That's our natural bent. Okay, so I can confess that to the Lord, can I, Lord? Forgive me, thank you that you love sinners who are bent towards selfishness and there's power in this world to save me from that. And there's grace in Jesus that covers my failure to want first to see your glory. And then what's the next question? Do I trust God's promises or my appraisal of appearances? Okay. God makes magnificent promises to us. What is it 2 Peter 1 says is great and magnificent promises. And to walk by faith is to look at those promises, ask the Holy Spirit to convince us that they're true versus what I see and I try to make sense out of what I see. So this verse, properly understood, shows you that you have profound needs spiritually. You're desperate to hear and see spiritually. That's why when Jesus came, among his many miracles, he did what? Two things. He healed the blind. He healed the deaf. That's not by accident. That's this verse looking forward to how Jesus is going to make a commentary ultimately on these things. Do you remember the story in Mark 8 of the man who was blind? Jesus starts the healing process and he goes, what do you see now? What did he see? I see men like trees. Meaning, doesn't quite see yet. What does Jesus do? Another application of the spittle. Now he sees clearly. What does that tell you about the nature of spiritual sight? It comes gradually. Do do you see more clearly spiritually now than you did ten years ago? Yes. 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 This is why I think in our text last week that you don't make a neophyte convert an elder because they probably think they know more and see more than they really do. Gr- growth is gradual. It's a progression. Sanctification doesn't happen overnight. We need constant light. That One of the images in the book of Proverbs is, is the, the path of life is like the dawn that shines brighter and brighter until, until noonday. You get on the path. You trust that this is the way God wants you to live. You don't see what, You don't see as if it's bright, shining light. But yet, yeah, just enough light to say, okay, I'm going to stay on it. And the longer you're on the path, the more self-validating God's ways are. Aren't you more impressed and committed to God's ways today than you were 10 years ago? That's the way it should work. Okay. So we grow, we see gradually. And of course, we're never going to grow apart from the word of God. So here's an interesting case study. In Luke 4, Jesus preached his first sermon in his hometown in Nazareth. Okay, it was time to read from the scroll in Isaiah 61. Does somebody have the Isaiah 61 verse on the handout? Yes. Okay, read that one for us, James. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Thank you. What a magnificent depiction of the ministry of Jesus. Oh my, how many months could we spend on it? Okay. When Jesus reads, this is what he reads. Somebody read then the Luke 4 portion. Thank you. What's the difference? Sight to the blind. In the Isaiah text, he sent me to bind up the brokenhearted is absent in what Jesus read, and inserted in its place is recovering of sight to the blind. So, how, how is that fulfilled in the ministry of Jesus? And we're going to tease this out, but you tell me, knowing what you know about the ministry of Jesus, how is that fulfilled? Both. Figuratively and physically, physically, how? He heals blind people. See, every miracle is an act of mercy of God, setting the body back to the condition from which God made it, anticipating glorified bodies, in the new heavens and the new earth, when there's going to be perfect sight, perfect hearing, perfect bodies. And every miracle shows something of the redemptive glory of what Jesus came to do. So, what's the figurative or the spiritual significance of these healings? Right? Yeah. Jesus has come to give sight to the eyes of our hearts to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We'll see a verse in the sermon from 2 Corinthians 4:4 4, 4, that the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It's kind of interesting also that in the Old Testament there are no instances of blind people being healed. No blind people in the Old Testament being healed. Interesting. And what might we, we extrapolate from that fact? The one who ultimately gives sight hasn't arrived. Perhaps. yeah, thank you. Good, good observation, Frank. So why is it necessary to cause the blind to see? Isaiah 9:2, is that on the handout? Yeah. Somebody read it?: The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. This is one of the ways the Gospels frame the coming of Jesus. And Isaiah 60, 1 through 4. Someone read that for us. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness of peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. Nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes, all Then you shall see and be radiant, your heart shall thrill and shall. Great. Thank you, Nate. So what is this thick darkness that covers the earth? What is that? Amen. Who's the prince of the earth? Satan. The prince of darkness. When Jesus was tempted, Satan promised to give him all the kingdoms of the world because they were his. So Satan is the God of this world. And he he rules as God by blinding people from seeing their deepest spiritual needs, the way things are wired spiritually, the glory of God, thick darkness. What's the only thing that can dispel the thick darkness? The glory of God in Jesus Christ. The glory of God shining in Christ. He is the light shining in the darkness. If you know Jesus as Lord and Savior, you have been delivered from darkness into light. The light of the world, Jesus, has come and rescued you. Open the eyes of your heart. Amazing. And the more time you spend around unbelievers and see how sad it is that they don't see, it should move us to compassion and mercy. Never judgment, because that would be us, but for the grace, the sovereign electing grace of God. So Jesus, then, is the great divide between seeing and hearing the truth. And that's why when he came in his public teaching ministry, he defined unbelief as a function of blindness and deafness. The Pharisees were called blind guides of the blind. I mean, how sad to be one of those blind people that your guides who are guiding you are blind. Why are they blind? They really don't believe God's revelation. A lot of religious trappings. They read the word of God. This is really, sorry, this is the liberal church in America today. A lot of stuff, a lot of theologically liberal churches that ultimately don't believe the Bible is the word of God. (coughs) Jesus rebuked the Jews for their deafness. John 8, 43. Somebody have it. Why don't you understand what I say? It's because you cannot bear to hear my words. It's really important when Jesus answers his own questions. He doesn't always answer his own questions. Sometimes you're supposed to struggle with the answer. He answers his own question here. Why is it you can't understand what I say? Now, somebody who wants to know the answer to that question in his audience would be hanging on his every word. And his answer... You cannot bear to hear my word. Cannot. That expresses ability, not permission. For all we know, they are free in the economy of God. They're, they're free to hear God's word. They may, but they can't. Why can't they bear to hear God's word? God didn't open their ears yet? Because of what? Because their ears too God did open it. Yes, that's right. They're blinded? Because of sin. Sin is blinding. Sin is about self. Sin is about, I'm going to do it my way. Sin is about, I want God on my terms. So then the parables and the teaching ministry of Jesus become a strong condemnation for the unbelief of the Jews. And I'm thinking uh, now here of Mark 4.11, who would read that for us? And he said to his disciples, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. This I, is a hard word, isn't I it? I don't understand this, that, this particular yeah. verse. Yeah, so Jesus has favorites. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. To you it's been given another secret secrets of the kingdom. Should that make you proud? No, it should humble you. Why me? If you're in the audience and you heard this and you go, just a second, I'm not one of the disciples, but I really want to know the secrets of the kingdom, what would Jesus have done? Taught you them. That's exactly right. So Jesus is saying, this is a hard saying, that the parables are functioning in two ways. One, they are exposing the hard-hearted unbelief of the Jewish generation of his time. They expose it already prophesied in Isaiah. You have ears, but you're not going to hear. You have eyes, but you're not going to see. And the parables prove the doctrine of election. Yeah. If you're going to hear and you're going to see, it's because God has chosen you. Again, if you say to yourself, no, wait a minute. That's not fair. I really do want to hear. I do really want to see. Then what will God do for you? Ask him. He will. Mm-hmm. Give you the eyes and give to you the ears. Absolutely, the doctrine of election is meant to exclude no one who wants to be saved from being saved. Ask them. Instead, they heard Jesus teach like this, and what did they did was, they killed him. Proof of the very teaching. Nate, I think I have a good example of Phil and the Ethiopian. The Ethiopian says, "How can I understand what it is unless someone explains it to me?" And then you compare that against the Pharisees, who had the entire Word of God, but they didn't really, most of them didn't really understand. But then you have someone like Nicodemus that really wants to understand yeah. what it means. So then they're the people that will come and ask and then they get Israel um, to Yes, good. God gives us the gift of mm-hmm. wanting to come. God gives us the gift of willingness. Mm-hmm. Remember what they said about Jesus teaching how different it was from everybody else? He taught us one having authority. The Greek word is exousia. Compound for out of being. He taught out of his being. You couldn't... Ten minutes? No. Ten, ten o'clock. o'clock, thank you. I always get that wrong. <laughs> we should... Do you think after a year? <laughs> this is my one year... Tomorrow my one year anniversary of preaching to you for the first time. March 11th of, eight, of uh, 2008. Eight? Eighteen. Eighteen. <laughs> it feels like I've been here ten years. <laughs> I know. Um, out of his being, right? You couldn't separate the words... Of the word, a flesh, made flesh. There's just something they could hear in it. All right, that's the parables. So what's Jesus' favorite way of soliciting understanding after he's made a saying? He who has Hears. ears, Hears. let him hear. That should immediately impress what question on your heart? Do I, Do I have ears? Why don't I have ears? How would I know if I had ears? Tell me what it is you're teaching. I want to know more. Or, I don't like that teacher. I'll go decide for myself what is true. Jesus is the great divide between seeing and hearing. So that's the irony of the gospel, beloved. You have to know you're blind before you can have eyes. And this is the point made in the story of the man born blind in John chapter 9. There's things in that story that are so bad they're comical. Okay, but I won't go into all the details, but it's just amazing. It's it's one whole chapter on one miracle, the man wore blind. But here's the punchline Jesus said to to his Jewish Jewish audience. If you were blind, you'd have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. So the claim to to have spiritual sight apart from Jesus and God's revelation is a definition of spiritual blindness. And you know you're on the right track when you go, "No, Lord, I'm blind, I don't get it, I won't get it until you reveal yourself to me." Now you're beginning to see. That's the irony. And right in order to be found, you need to know you're lost. How was Paul converted in the condition of being Blinded? It's significant. OK? And when Jesus gave him the marching orders for his ministry, Acts 26, how does he craft the thrust of his ministry? Somebody read it for us. Frank. So the thrust of Paul's ministry, opening eyes. What's the vehicle he uses? Preaching the word of God. Why? Because they are blinded by Satan. I, I mean, that's a, that's a really serious, formidable foe. And the only power greater it, than it is. That one little word shall fell him. Right? And the third verse of a mighty fortress. So you don't get life, freedom, salvation, sight, and ears until you see Christ. Why? In Christ we see the glory of God and we hear the word of God. Do we? Do I have on there John five and John eight on your handout? Good. Yes. Read it for Shirley. Thank you. Since you nodded. <laughs> I can do. Teach you not to nod. <laughs> uh, John five. I can do nothing on my own as I hear, I judge. John eight. My son. Speak of what I've seen with my Father. Thank you. So what is Jesus acknowledging? The origin of his... Father. comes from the Father. I'm completely dependent on the Father. That's modeled in how we'll never hear till we hear God. We'll never see until God opens our eyes. Stunning, isn't it? So true sight through Jesus, the light of the world, true hearing through him, the word of the Father. Seeing Jesus as both true humanity and true God. How do you know he's opened your eyes? What's so the telltale sign that he's opened your eyes? You see the beauty and power of the, the cross. Christ. The beauty and power of the cross. That's why Paul determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. When, when the cross becomes your life, your greatest boast, and your joy, you see the glory of God giving his son for his enemies. Now you're really seeing. Okay? Let's do some application. Number one, we have to pray constantly for open eyes. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter one. Ephesians one. I, I don't, I didn't put it on your handout. Yeah. I did. Yeah. Just a phrase. The first, the first. Phrase. Yeah. So how many of you know Ephesians well enough to, what, to know basically what happens in verses one through seventeen? What does Paul do? Pray. What's that name? Praise. Praise for the eyes of their understanding. Well, that's verse 18, but the, first, the 17 verses <laughs> that we preceded, what happens in 1 through 17, essentially? He tells us about the lavish riches and love of Christ. Every spiritual, he's blessed you, verse 3, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, and then he details them for, for about 16 verses. He lavished his grace upon us and loved, predestined us, adopted us. Yeah. So you get all these spiritual blessings. Now, wouldn't that be enough for the Ephesian readers? Just tell them. It's not. Then Paul gathers his breath and in verse 18, somebody read verse uh, 118 for us. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Okay. So he breaks out into prayer that God will take the written truth and apply it deep into our hearts. That's because spiritually you have what on your heart? Eyes, spiritually, figuratively speaking. The Greek word for enlightened is photidzo. That's the word uh, uh, that means literally to let light in. So when you do photography, when you take a photograph, you're literally writing with light. That's what photography is, writing with light. And Paul is saying, I want all these spiritual blessings here. I want the eyes, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be open, that the light of those would begin to shine and make images of reality in your heart. Think of your heart as that Back in the days when you went into a dark room and you took the paper and the, you, know, you got the, the photograph exposed on it, the truth comes in and then into your heart we need produced the reality, the image of these spiritual truths. I feathered the eyes of it. So what does that tell you about the nature of your spiritual eyes? You are naturally blind. Well, you're not blind anymore. Jesus has opened your eyes. You see, you love God. All these spiritual riches, you go, yay yeah, yeah, and amen, thank you. But as relates to your eyes, on a functional basis, you are Daily, you're pretty nearsighted. nearsighted or droopy-eyed. It's easy to go to sleep spiritually, right? Isn't it? We're droopy-eyed. Um, I'm going to make a point to that, some effect in my sermon. We're naturally droopy-eyed. And I love what he goes on to say, the three things he wants you to know. Somebody read them for us. The That you may know, what? Three things. God Fred E heart's reopening by now first in Ephesians 1 the hope to which he has called you okay I want you to know the hope to which he's called you the riches of his glorious inheritance of the saints the riches of his inheritance in the saints that's one another and third and name the immeasurable greatness of his power toward those who believe. The sur- uh, NASB: the surpassing greatness of his power toward you who believe. Now, I won't run down this bunny trail, but that raises what question? Exactly how has the surpassing greatness of God's power been exercised in us who believe? And you get the answer to that question in chapter 2. Verse 1. You were dead in your sins, and he made you alive, and you were dead. That's the principal way the surpassing greatness of God's power has been exercised in you. He brought you from spiritual death to life. But that's just an intro in how to teach Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. Okay. So, how often do you pray? Lord, open isn't that there that song, Open the Eyes of My Heart, Lord, open the eyes of my heart. How many off how often do we sing it? Okay. Can't sing it enough. Right. Second point of application: we want to long for the world's blind to see and the deaf to hear. What's the principal way the, the deaf one minute? Is that what that means? One minute? Five. Uh, have... What's a principal way the deaf hear from God and the blind see? Be you tell them? We tell them in word and in action. Actions. Some people can't hear the words, therefore they need to see the love of Jesus demonstrated in action. Right? You may be the only contact a person has with Jesus Christ. You. You may be their only contact. Third, we must be protective of and proactive with our eyes and ears. Uh, it was in the, in the seven churches in Revelation, the church of Laodicea, blind. They needed sight. So how do you protect your eyes? Psalm 101, verse 3 says, I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. So you need to think about the things you look at that are worthless that are going to distract you from what you need to see. And then proactively, Psalm 26, verse 3 says, Where your steadfast love is before my eyes and I walk in your faithfulness, Jesus is the love of God fulfilled. So where do we need to fix our eyes? Proactively, every morning? Doesn't Moses say in Psalm ninety? Let me hear your loving kindness in the morning. I'm going to rejoice and be all the day. See, I have a great need in the morning to hear and to see the love of God. And that's Jesus. And I've got to get Jesus before me. Or I'm going to be chasing something that I think is going to satisfy me and make me significant that simply will not. And it makes sense that Jesus uses the eye and light to challenge you to have your heart filled with himself. Somebody read Luke 11, 33 to 36. No one after lighting the lamp, but it's away in the cellar, through mm-hmm. on their basket, but on the lampstand, so that those who enter may see the light. The eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is clear, your whole body also is full of light. But when it is bad, your body also is full of darkness. Then watch out that the light in your that the light in you is not darkness. If therefore your whole body is full of light with no dark part in it, it will be fully illuminated as when the Lamb is your you with its rays. I have read this one a Thank you, Thank you. <laughs> so Jesus is saying that your eye symbolizes your heart's moral disposition. If the disposition of your heart is I need light from God, I need Jesus, what's going to fill your heart? The light of Jesus. And that's life, that's how we live. We want our hearts filled with he who is the light of the world, and so we have to ask the question, do I really want him? And then finally, a minute, good. We walk by faith, both near and far sightedly, as ironic as that sounds. You know, Paul says we walk by faith and not by sight. But we do have to fix our eyes on someone in the nearsighted sense, and that is from Hebrews 12. We run the race of endurance, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And in order to live healthily on this earth, we need to have far-sighted or ultimate sight, and that is the place of ultimate beauty, which is where Jesus is waiting for us to enjoy his presence forever. And we will see him face... To face, 1 John 3. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now and what we will be has not yet appeared but we know that when he appears we shall be like him. We shall see him as he is. The beatific vision fulfilled back to what we forfeited in the garden. Seeing God. And then we have this wonderful promise from Revelation 22. There will no longer be any curse and the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it and His bondservants will serve Him. They will see His face. His name will be on their foreheads and there will no longer be any night. No longer need of the lamp, the, uh, light of the lamp or light of the sun because the Lord God will illumine them and they will reign forever and ever. Seeing and hearing God. Okay? Let's pray. I got through on time, you're saying? Another miracle. Lord, as we go to worship, open the eyes of our hearts and stop our ears, that we might see the glory of God and Jesus Christ, hear his word, be transformed, renewed, encouraged, filled with hope, confidence, faith, joy, and above all, desire to bring glory to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you class. All right, thank you. Thank you. Thank you.